And I welcome you back to the Bill Bennett Show. This is the podcast that takes a look at the news of the day, and we try to have thoughtful conversation about things that matter. Would you say that's true, Claude? I think so, absolutely. And response on email says that as well. Right. Often called a very thoughtful show. Uh, You are, you know, where people go to get a lot of just level-headed. Well, I mean, you don't like to hear that. But I'm fishing for a compliment. No, I'm just, I'm just relaying to you because we do emails on the show. Yeah. But usually when they have questions, and so I don't even tell you all the ones that just say, "Hey, I just wanted to know, love the show." Well, why not? Podcast. Well, because you react this Uh, way. Okay, throw me the bouquets. (laughs) Joining us today, Tom Dans. Uh, He's co-founder and portfolio manager at Amber Waves Partners. I'm fascinated by these guys. And it's an investment firm focused on a values-based investing ecosystem. Don't be frightened by the word ecosystem. Please don't. Because it's values-based. And it's designed to influence corporations and the economy for the benefit of communities across the country and for all Americans. Tom is a former senior treasury official, served under both Biden and Trump. I guess he just served under Biden for a little bit. Is that right? Shortly, yes. In transition. I want to let you know about our friends at Bank on Yourself. Have you been dreading looking at your 401k or your IRA account balance? Yeah, things aren't looking really good right now. And you're not alone. And the experts say there has been no place to hide. But that is simply not true. The truth is you can build a financial bunker that grows and protects your money during even the scariest economic times. The Bank on Yourself Retirement Plan Alternative lets you escape the financial carnage that has never had a losing year in over 160 years. Whether you have been investing for years or just started out, now is the time to bypass Wall Street and bank on yourself. Bank on Yourself lets you reach your financial goals and dreams without taking any unnecessary risks. You get guaranteed predictable growth and retirement income with no luck, skill, or guesswork needed. This strategy also lets you take a tax-free retirement income, which protects you from the coming tax tsunami. Unlike the government-controlled 401k, IRA, or similar plan, you control the money in your plan, not the government. You can use your money for any purpose with no questions asked without interrupting the growth of your savings. This is the strategy Famous businesses like McDonald's have used when no banker would lend them a dime, and almost anyone can do it. No volatility. Your plan doesn't go backward when the markets tumble. Both your principal and growth are protected. Peace of mind, perhaps the best reason of all. You'll know the minimum guaranteed value of your plan on the day you plan to tap into it and at every point along the way. You can get a free report with all the details of how adding bank on yourself to your financial plan can help you take back control of your money. Just go to bankonyourself.com slash bill. That's bankonyourself.com slash bill. This information is for educational purposes only and is not a solicitation for the purchase of any financial product. All guarantees are based on the claims paying ability of the insurer. So let's welcome Tom Dance to the show, co-founder and portfolio manager at Amber Wave Partners. Tom, thank you for your time today. Yeah, it's terrific. Thank you so much, Bill. It's wonderful to be on your show. 
Why are you doing something for your country when you went to Brown? What the heck? <laughs> oh, goodness. What happened? Did, did you not go to class or or what? Hey, hey, you know, Brown was all past fail, right? At the time I went there, they had something called the new curriculum. Oh, gosh. What, what, what year did you graduate? I, I'm 91. I think I spoke, I spoke at Brown at... Uh, I think 88 or 89, you didn't go to my lecture either. <laughs> oh, I, I could, yeah, yeah, well, you know. Because they were debating pass, pass didn't they endlessly debate pass, fail? It was pass, yes, it was, uh, it, well, I think we, the uh, students won out in the, in the, uh, in the long term. They had occupied University Hall. It was, uh, it was one of those uh, student-led movements. Okay, uh, all the right, early all 70s. right. Ira Magaziner. Yeah, I, I promise yeah. this will not so. be the subject of our conversation. But I go ahead. No, Claude. no. A lot of people say the hardest part about Brown. I'm not being fair to my uh, fellow alumni, but the hardest part was getting it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. No, I know. I know. I know. Um, where'd you grow up? So uh, I grew up. I, I you know, I was I uh, was born in uh, Quincy, Massachusetts. Uh -huh. I moved when I was two weeks old out to Colorado. So my earliest memories are. Um, of Colorado in the early 70s. And uh, my parents were both from back east. Uh, uh, fortunately, my um, they, they were not, uh, they're kind of second generation Americans. And uh, I was lucky, you know, getting into Brown, I say that tongue in cheek, I, I really was fortunate because of the, the like yourself, I think my, my parents, my grandparents before them really put an emphasis on education. So, um, they were the first generation in their families to go to college. And they from, uh, they if went, I might ask, where were they from? Yeah. So, uh, my dad's family, the Dan's are actually from, uh, a park called Galicia in Northern Spain. Wow. So they're Gallegos. And, um, they came to, uh, the Lower East Side, uh, in the, early, you know, turn of the century, the turn of the wow. 20th century. And my dad grew up in a, um, cold water flat basically that got that got leveled and and became public housing and he went to uh he's fortunate he, he went through a catholic school at like a transfiguration school that was run by mary and all sisters and then went out to the island um was at the south military academy yeah. it was a christian brother yeah, school sure and then manhattan college sure. um kind of a nerd he, he got into columbia pns became a uh Professor Madison. Actually, he was. He, you know, I, I, I hate to date myself, but I do remember growing up. They were fans, my, uh, of of your your own work there during the Reagan administration. My mom's family. Uh, she's the youngest of eight from a French family, French Canadian family in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, she, she, like my dad's. You know, grew up in between Spanish. And Italian, the other part of the family is from the south of Italy, so they they spoke different dialects. But my mom grew up in French, and then she was fortunate; she got a scholarship to Trinity College in D.C. and uh, huh? became a scientist. My my parents met at NIH. Wow! So, wow. Yeah, long story there, but yeah. So we were the, we grew up in a family that really focused on education. Both of them became teachers. That's my dad great. Was a professor. And my mom was a school teacher. Now yourself, where do you live now? So I am, uh, I live outside of Houston. So I'm, I'm naturalized Texan. Um, I'm in the camp, the, 
wasn't born here. Got here as quickly as I could. Um, uh, from Brown and, to uh, Texas, did you get the bends? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, it was uh, well. There was there were intermediate stops in New York and a couple years in Moscow. So yeah, um, yeah. So I want to uh, talk about those two thousand six or so. I want to talk yeah. about those uh, those Moscow years with you when we get to the substance things. Are you married? Family? Sure, family. Uh, married for well twenty five years. Next week. So uh, don't ask me what I'm getting. It's still a surprise. But uh, I'm blessed with three kids. Uh, my oldest is a senior at uh, Colorado School of Mines. Uh-huh. My boy. Wow. Wow. And then I've got a daughter like yourself. Is, my, my wife's a UT grad. And she's uh, my daughter's a sophomore at UT. Uh-huh. And then I've got a, uh, a younger son who's a junior in high school, Lucian, at uh at, at a Jesuit school in Houston. Yeah. yeah. Now that uh, older son is it at the Colorado School of Mines? Yes. What's he studying? Yes. So he's studying uh, mining engineering. Okay. So when he graduates, uh, he'll make more money than you do, right? <laughs> well, we're hoping. <laughs> well, it used to be. I don't know if it's a case anymore. I, you know, we, with but the... we start we start small. We're hoping that they'll they'll move outside the house. Right? Yeah. So we've got modest well, expectations. <laughs> Yeah. I was invited to give the commencement at South Dakota State, and the president called and said, uh, you know, most of our kids are majoring in uh, in mining. You know, they got the big shelf there, one of the big shelves, you know. Yeah. And she said, we have a great stat, which is every one of our college graduates who majors in those or related studies makes more than I do. <laughs> to, to start, to start. Yeah. To start. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that was a big selling point on mine. They they, uh, they 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 know how to sell the parents. That was a big part of the pitch when you showed up on the orientation weekend. Will there so be something kids, for yeah. him to do given the current climate? About oh, I, I think it's just a matter of where to where to begin it and 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 what to focus on. Absolutely, I, you know we can we can launch into it. I I we're think there's really, a, we're not fracking, right? There's fracking. I mean, there's you know. A, a real urgency for us to get back into producing our own metals and minerals in this country and really begin to bring back our supply chains and, and fully integrate our industries once again to be able to maintain the, the power that we have as a country. Is his emphasis so, on the metals? His, yeah, at, at this point it's on, it's on the underground excavation Meddling. So it can, it, it, uh, you know, metal production, but it could, it could go in many different directions. Hey, it could, it could go for building tunnels uh, under Los Angeles. It could go for, you know, be- developing new ways to move water uh, underground out of Houston. So the, m- tremendous type of like environmental, uh, well, environmental and engineering challenges in front of us. Can you, you know, get, can, you, can he build a tunnel to get out of Los Angeles? <laughs> Well, thank you, thank you for uh, telling us all that. The, uh, this audience is just just loves to hear about family and you know and how people grew up and and uh, and so on. Um, do you remember a professor on campus by any chance named Jack Neusner? Jack Neusner, I know the name. Uh, well, I did Jack not. Take class. Yeah, yeah uh, religious yeah. studies mostly, mostly yeah. Hebrew, but yeah. uh, he was yeah. a good he Absolutely. was a good he was a good friend of mine. He was a good Absolutely. friend of mine. He was he was a rock star. Yeah, yeah. It, Fallon was heavy hitters and, and religious studies and uh, and history and 
and even in, in disciplines called semiotics, which nobody That's right. That's right. knew at the time, right? That's Still right. can't explain what it means, but it's, right. it's something important. It, 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 think. it is. It <laughs> is. I want to hear about Moscow and uh, your time in Moscow, and what did you learn? If you can do this, uh, what did you learn in Moscow? What were you doing there? How long were you there? And what did you learn that's relevant to what's going on today in terms of the Soviet economy, um, you know, how how it works, uh, Mm -hmm. our relationship to the Soviet Union or now Russia? Uh, Right. Can you do a little of that? Sure, sure, absolutely. uh, Maybe for... For your listeners' benefit, I could just take a half step back and, and explain how I even got involved in the sure. first place, which is kind of a interesting point about American education. I think you'll appreciate. Which is, um, as I mentioned, my my family grew up multilingual, right? So, um, I, you know, we were raised in English outside the kids. It, you know, the, the moving to Colorado, we weren't around family, but we, you know, our, our, my mom taught us French. We learned some Spanish, Italian, whatnot, but. Uh, I did pretty well in school to the point where I went, we went to public schools outside of Baltimore, um, Baltimore County Public Schools. And they, the particular school we went to had been built in 1957. So really at the height of the space race when Sputnik landed. And to, to meet the challenge of that, the, the U.S. government had decided they needed to start teaching Russian to kids early on, you know, homegrown American kids. Who, who could then have the benefit of, of the language and hopefully increase our understanding. So I, I ended up, you know, getting tabbed for it and taking it. And so there really wasn't much future in it uh, unless you wanted to go to work for the government, which really it was, wasn't my, my dream. I thought I would be a, a baseball player instead at the point in time. But uh, um, I kept with it. I, at Brown, it was, a, uh, it was what I would call an easy A. Because uh, I kind of stood and not not that um, uh, everything was a, a layup at the school, but I, I kept with it, and uh, I ended up going for first time to Moscow in 1990 as an exchange student. How old were yeah, you? Just, I was uh, 19 at the time. Okay. So we, yeah, we we literally landed there about a month after the wall came down in Germany, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the Soviet Union was kind of in early stages of disintegration. Wow. And yeah. So I went to a place called the Moscow Energy Institute, which is out on the western side of the city. Um, and we lived in a dormitory and it was fascinating. There were a couple other American kids in the program, but we were really interspersed with um, in this particular dorm with kids that came from all the Comic Con countries and kind of the outer republics in the Soviet Union. So I had I had Ukrainians, I had Cubans, I had uh, some Africans. We had people from you know Chelyabinsk, like far provinces, and um, you got to know these people. You got to spend time with them, hang out with them, and and at the time we were you know poor college students back in in America, but you know five dollars could could take you out, you could afford a, a five-course meal, you know, by pin caviar if you could find it in Moscow. So it was really a, an amazing time. There, there, We stood in lines for bread. You know, I, every every day we had to walk to class and we'd walk by um, La Forteva prison, which was like one of the uh, political prisons uh, in, the, in the Russian system at the time. So it was, it was really... Uh, 
a birthing into like understanding the, the what the Soviet style of life was in, in the really the end of that empire and um, kind of shaped my understanding and appreciation of things. So are you now. fluent in Russian? Yeah, yeah. So I, that was fortunate. You know, you kind of, as much as I had studied it before I got there, it's like other languages until you're really forced to, to think and act and spend your time uh, and really immersed with others who are native speakers. You don't get to the to the level um, of fluency that you really, you can. Right, right. You know. So, so uh, tell us about, now Now go to today. Yeah, uh, so that's this... to today, yeah. That, you know, and... And that leaves a whole period of transition. But what you what you have to appreciate, and I think it's kind of maybe lost in some of our commentators, et cetera, is that the folks who are running the show today in Russia, they came from this experience. So what I mean is, you you can't understand their their mindset and what they're doing next if you if you haven't necessarily appreciated where they came from. So I'll give I'll give you an example of that. Um, a lot of people, you know, maybe you saw in the headlines that there was a promotion about, well, and, and we'll take these figures at face value. I have no way of, of verifying if they're right or not, but that they had lost 14,000 or 18,000 troops in the initial kind of assault on Ukraine, right? But put that in the context of Vladimir Putin, who was born in 52 in Leningrad, right? His parents both survived World War II. His father shot by shot by Nazis and, and almost left for dead on the battlefield. Right, his mother uh, was actually left on the street in an outdoor morgue and discovered to still be living. Right, so uh, this is not to create sympathy for Putin. It's 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 not. I think it, what he's done there is reprehensible. And I and I just would and I'd say that to the audience here. I I my sympathies are entirely. Uh, with the Ukrainian people, the people that is of Ukraine. So I don't want my comments about Russia no, no, to like. Yeah. No, you're, you're, ex- you're explaining, not forgiving. But yeah. I'm just, yeah, I'm just explaining the context of. So he and and the Leningraders, remember, they went through a siege of over 800 days, right? They lost over a million people. Yeah. So Putin himself grew up in uh, an apartment which was like a Kamunalka which is a shared apartment. If you can imagine uh, an apartment of like 1,500 square feet where your family, three of you, were living in one bedroom of it. That was your entire existence. And there were two families who lived in, in the other bedrooms in the apartment. That was life, right? He, he, his family. So he's the third child, two, kid, two sons in front of him, dead, right? I mean, died during, one died during the war, one died, I think, right before it. Um, he, he grew up kind of in this um, World War II, us first them, we defeated the Nazis. And, and so when he says, and like, for instance, um, he, he gave a speech that was for really for a domestic audience on February 22nd, right? The, right before the invasion. N- not many people listen to it. You know, it's in Russian. So I listened to all the things. He talked for an hour. Uh, talked about and very much in depth about um, why they're trying to make the sale, if you will, to the Russian people, why they were going in and giving this long historical backdrop to, to all the events that were happening in there. I don't think that that's necessarily appreciated on, on our side 
to the extent to, to, to understand their next moves and be able to make the best ones ourselves. We have to understand like what's driving them. That's unfortunate. I tie that back to my comments about education, right? And this is not to, to, to extol myself in this. Sir, I'm, there, there are many other Russia experts out there, some with much higher levels of analysis than I do. But if you look at what our U.S. education system does today, we, we want fewer than one in 1,000 U.S. high school students have any instruction in Russian, uh, either in the language or the history. Yep. And that, that really puts us at a disadvantage, I think, which is fixable. The economic situation in, in, in Russia today. Let me let me just yeah. hit you with a headline. Uh, okay, our sanctions are, you know, at best costing the Russians a billion dollars. Uh, I don't know what, a billion dollars a day, maybe? A billion dollars a week? I don't, I don't right. know. But they're taking in a billion, that same billion, in oil revenues. Sure. True. sure. Yeah, it, true, true. In fact, in, in more than that, I mean, just I think what he's probably referring to is the latest print on their current account surplus, which uh, more than doubled year over year. So account, current account surplus for the for listeners being basically the difference between the value of what they import and what they export. Okay. So a surplus meaning that they export much more value than they import. And that difference, in the U.S., we have the dramatic opposite, right? So we've got massive account deficits. And that, in the long term, really weakens the economic fabric of the country. So Russia, again, just for people's understanding, they came into this in a very solid financial position. Principally from oil? This is principle from oil and energy exports, but also a lot of other things. So they're the world's number one exporter of wheat, right? Um so they've they've diverse they're, they're you know diversified and then there's a whole lot of metals and minerals and other strategic items that they do sell and then of course they do sell things like arms and they sell airplanes and and other heavy equipment to places around the world. Are, are so, they are they still surplusing? Uh, they are still surplusing. Yes, because in fact, they're, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, no. In fact, they, they started off with a very strong balance sheet, right? They have effectively no net debt, no sovereign net debt. So we're not so hurting them are, that much. We're not hurting them that much. No, and unfortunately, they have very strong gold reserves. So it's not that we couldn't deliver the economic pain on them. We still have a we still have a position of strain. But people may be, you know, in terms of like the level of sanctions that have been applied, where they've been applied. I doubt that they'll achieve the the uh, desired effect. Any guess uh, why we haven't applied them? I, uh, unfortunately, I think it's uh, it's you know it circles back to our partners' reliance on the energy products that they produce. I mean, it, it, it fundamentally are all of our economies, whether you're in the U.S. or in Europe, are, are tied to the supply of energy. And while we wish that were a higher uh, you know, sort of by uh, lower carbon uh, types of energy. In, in reality, that's not where we are in today's day and age. So we're highly reliant on, on, on gas and oil and refined products that come out of Russia. So Russia is the number two, world's number two crude exporter, but they're also the world's number two exporter of refined products. So that gasoline and diesel and things like 
you know, that, that farmers need to, to plant their crops in Europe and, and German chemical producers need to, you know, to make their products. Okay, you partly answered what I was going to ask. Who's buying it? Farmers across Europe, G- Germany? Uh, yeah, it, it heats the houses in Germany. It, you know, it, it, it lights the buildings in Tokyo. It, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's a it? lot of our allies. It's, uh, you know, it, it runs, uh, runs the stores in, in factories in Milan. You know? so, so, so you think that we have not put it to them lately, I mean uh, mightily, because yeah. it would bother our allies. Is that right? And our allies. I is, think that's. I think that's a major effect of it. Yes, I think we've had. What do our allies out. say? The Germans say, "Hey, if you do this, we'll we'll freeze ourselves to death." Um, I, you you hear that from the German Industrial Union? You know that they they're, they're ones who talk publicly. I don't know what the conversations. I'm not privy to them anymore. Sure. At a, you know at a diplomatic sure, sure. level, but um. I, you know, there's there's a well. This is not anything new for our decision makers. They understand the the geoeconomic dynamics of supply. Um, unfortunately, we've we've kind of um, let ourselves, you know, get to the point we are today. It's regrettable, but I, I don't I don't want everybody to be left with the idea that it's unfixable and unaddressable. It's going to take some time, but the the problem's been decades in the making. So it can't time, be. But by that time, there may not be a Ukraine left, right? Well, yes. I mean, I, I my prayer for Ukraine is for peace on both sides. Well, I think. Sure, but um, we're going to. Yeah, the. the uh, but what's the likelihood of that, Tom? Well, um, it's I, at this stage. I I don't see anything happening quickly. Right. You know, the Russians have just Putin has just kind of said he's going back on the offensive. And from the other side, you know, the, the starting position is that we're not going to entertain any, you know, losing an inch of territory. So that the two sides are just so far apart right. here that um, it looks unlikely. We have a, a couple of folks who have a deep involvement in this show who've been on talking about it. And they said that, you know, in addition, to, as you point out, oil and wheat and metals, uh, the Russians also have thousands of missiles. Yeah. And we got to be careful because we do not have a missile defense. Absolutely, yeah, and and that's unfortunate. I think I've I've, I've heard you mention it before and talk about it. And, you know, we, we if we could go back in time we would, and and done things differently, we would have a stronger strategic position certainly. Yeah, uh, to be able to do some of the things from a military perspective and really a kinetic perspective to help achieve peace. There now we're uh, we're Unfortunately, hoping that we can employ economic tools to drive people towards really a cessation of like a kinetic war. And that's just yeah. kind of unprecedented. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But you don't think he's crazy. So you don't think he'd use nuclear weapons. Is that a fair conclusion? I, I hope nobody would use nuclear weapons. I don't think anybody around the. I, 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 I'm in the camp. Um, it's just, you know, there is no such thing as a, a small nuclear. Yeah. War. I, I just think you 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 pass a divide, you cross a Rubicon. Uh, e- even to do that, w- where there's no going back, and it sets off a whole set of um, uncontrolled dynamics at that point. So, yeah, I, I got to yeah. believe there are some leaders in the world, and may, maybe you're right about Putin, but she and and uh, you know our friend in North Korea. I mean, I, you know, right. 
I could see them. I could see them doing it. But, but, but the point is, and I've researched this and checked with other people. We could not defend all our cities from Russian nuclear attack. We could not. No, no. And certainly, yeah. you know, the cost of anything here would be would completely outweigh, uh, you know, a no fly zone. A no one. fly zone. Right. No, that's tantamount yeah. to uh, okay. to uh, World War Three. Yeah. I want to switch if we can. If you have any f- uh, final thoughts on Russia, because uh, your expertise is. Wonderful and showing. I had no idea who the founder of Moscow was. Sure. Now, I would, you know, the only thing I would say to listeners is, like, let's be careful with a broad indictment of Russian for the sake of Russian. Uh, you, it's it's hard because... Don't mistake Russians for... Don't mistake yeah, don't, Russians for Not Putin. everybody is the bad guy. Not everybody is the bad guy. And, in fact, we've done so much. There is a, 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 a large group of Russians that really love the U.S., I mean, in some of the people have met them, they, they uh, are, are productive parts of our society here. There's been a lot of good that's happened in that country uh, since independence, since we won the Cold War. And so we've got a group of people there. You know, they were my colleagues. Basically, there's, it's very different when you're looking, when you're talking with Russians who are kind of 50 and below and 50 and above in terms of general mindset and orientation on the world. Remember, most of the younger Russians, they have no experience, as I was describing earlier, like from Soviet days. So I would just say, um, whatever we have, you know, let's let's not cross a place in our own minds that we get to the point where we we can't, um, we we can't at least learn to cohabitate with Russians. It's a big country. It covers, you know, 11 or more time zones, whatever it is, but it's not going away. Yeah. Okay. Take a few minutes and tell us about Amber Wave and why people sure. might be or should be interested in Amber Wave, which sure. you guys yeah. are up to, why you're different. Yeah, sure. So Amber Wave, so I, I probably talked too much about my personal background there, et cetera. But I, my, so after I came out of Brown, I went to the street and I, I you know, student loans. So I, I uh, uh, worked in, in various investment businesses and funds and then spent time, as I mentioned, you know, investing in Russia and Kazakhstan, Ukraine, all over. Um, way led on to way, and I had a, uh, a calling for public service like yourself. I ended up helping in 2016, feeling I should, you know, that was kind of the right moment for me to get involved. And I, I helped uh, in uh, the, the Trump campaign. Um, and that created the opportunity for me to join the Treasury Department. Um, which was really kind of a dream of, um, of, of kind of giving back to the country. So I, while I was at Treasury, I got to know a fantastic group of people. It was an experience like I would never trade. Uh, and two of them, uh, I made, you know, we, we formed a partnership afterwards. So we created Amber Wave, uh, Steve Myron and Dan Katz with two other colleagues. And we thought, let's take with what we, some of the good that we did. In, from a policy perspective on the Trump administration and kind of um, now take it to the private sector and see if we can marshal uh, private capital to, to create these same changes. What I'm talking about are going back and doing some of the things like we've been talking about, like making American industry stronger, investing in companies that help improve their communities, that create uh, high-paying jobs, that reinvest in education and training for their workforce, that make our country stronger and safer 
by adding to our national security. And, and finally, create the growth that's broad-based, you know, that lifts all Americans um, by what they do. So a lot of that are the themes of supply chain, uh, restructuring, nearshoring or reshoring, so bringing businesses and manufacturing back from China and, and here to the U.S. Um, and what we did was, I'm sorry, um, we created a uh, ETF, an exchange-traded fund that trades under uh, the ticker IUSA. So it's, it's called Amber Wave Invest USA JSG Fund. So we focus on companies within the S&P 500 that best exemplify a focus, priority focus on U.S. jobs, national security, and broad-based economic growth. So that's right. what we're doing with Amber Wave. Um, we think it should resonate. We hope it will with uh, with people on both sides of the political spectrum. You know, we're not we're not red wave, we're not blue wave. We call it amber wave. You know, and it's really just going back to the basics in America, which is you know we can make or do anything in this country. We are the world's leader. I'm a full subscriber to the shining city on the hill, American exceptionalism. I think that the U.S. has been the greatest force for good in, in uh, you know, in in kind of the history, in terms of any country or civilization that's existed. I will argue that. The monster. My my, yeah, to my last breath. And I, I think we're fortunate. I mean, we, we have to thank God that every day, whether we have a disagreement with our neighbor down the street or we were, you know, we feel like we've been shortchanged, that we do get to wake up in this country and we have all the benefits and blessings of life here. It's really when you've traveled around the world, I know you have and, and, and those on the show have as well. And you, you just really appreciate what we have, even in its unperfect state. It's, it's still, you know, far ex- exceeds anything else in the world. Well, I know you don't take political sides, but you worked for Trump. You're a marked man. What you, what yeah. you, what you just said might throw you off a college campus. Uh, but you were not going to be invited to speak back at Brown, I think. Not about this, anyway. You know, hey, I'm friendly with, I, you know. I, 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 I know, I know. You, you guys do business. That, you know, we do business. We talk. I, I, I am completely aboard for exchange with, I think, and I, I respect, I, I may not agree with the parts of the left argument, but I, 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 I enjoy engaging with them. And um, I consider them a number of them friends, some of my best friends, um, share no political leanings with me. And in fact, um, you know, I, again, my family started, we were Democrats. We're ethnic Democrats. Yeah, no, we well, made, we changed. We, we, we um, you know, made a transition. And I think the, the parties changed too. So oh, no um, we, we come back to the, what we, we call like the fundamentals, which are like, we're for, for country. We're for, for, our, for our communities. Good. You know, we're for Good. things that make the country strong. I don't think that's a left first right decision. I, you know? well, I would argue with you on that now, not, not before well, I was raised yes. a Democrat, but I, I, you know, I just, uh, I just think people who say they want to transform this country from what it is and what it was. I'm sorry there, you know, and, and, you know, and I think there's a lot of wreckage out there right now yeah. over yeah. the last year and a half that I, yeah. I cannot, yeah. I cannot say, well, I just happen to disagree. I think it's calamitous. Oh, it is. It is. You know, I'm not defending that there are different groups on the left. 
and there are as there are on the right. Um, but I think in the main, uh, people who are not on on my you know, sharing mine, I think that we all share the same fundamental um, objective, which is we want the best life for ourselves, but more importantly, for our kids, you know, and future generations. So I, I, I think I want to say we have more in common than it, different. I used to think that, but I'm not sure anymore. All right. Thanks a lot, Tom. <laughs> bye bye. All right. Bye so. bye. bye. All right, that does it for today's show, Claude. Catch up on previous episodes of the show. Go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.